Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Previously on Mentally Yours. Obviously, any breakup is difficult, but when you do have an audience, not only an audience, but one that's really invested in your personal life and an audience that's really grown with our relationship, you know, they saw our relationship from day one. You know, I think it was a big shock to a lot of people on the internet, which was understandable, but it was a lot of pressure. And I think it's hard to go through it alone. But when you have to go through it with a bunch of people and they're all like, this is so sad. I have no faith in love anymore. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hello and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. My name's Vet, and it's just me this week. Our guest is Lydia Ruffles. She's going to chat about synesthesia and migraines. She's also the author of Colour Me In and The Taste of Blue Lights. And she's experienced several mental health issues. And so do her characters. The book is actually written from the perspective of a 19-year-old guy. Um, So it's not specifically my experience, but obviously that feeds into it. Um, he actually is an actor and when when we meet him we know he's had a depressive episode in the past which was an experience that I could relate to um, and he's and he starts to kind of feel it happening again um, and then a tragedy happens and he finds himself fleeing to the other side of the world I actually wrote part of the book in Japan uh, after a, a friend had recently passed away and I had quit a job that I'd been working at for 10 years I'd had various physical and mental health problems not that I particularly make this distinction between the two over over the course of um, the years before that and so it wasn't really a focus on a particular condition with my last book I I focused very specifically on post-traumatic stress disorder but with Colour Me and the new one it's it's much broader I just wanted to kind of give a view of um, an individual's experience 
without going too much into like specific diagnosis. Could you tell us a bit about um, the different mental health issues that you've experienced? For me, they're really bundled up with my physical health. Um, So I've had obsessive compulsive disorder for maybe probably about 10 years ago. I think my mum would probably tell you I've had it longer than that. Um, But it really flared up in 2009 and and then got progressively worse in 2010 when I caught a virus in South America, which led me to develop what what turned out to be quite a rare type of migraine called vestibular migraine. Um, but pre-diagnosis, I had about five years of going to see neurologists, ear, nose and throat specialists, ne- uh, rheumatologists, had x-rays, MRI scans, blood tests, physical exams, um, went round and round and round and was told that it could be anything ranging from like, you, oh, you might have multiple sclerosis or your brain might be bleeding or you might be maybe you're just making it up and you're just you know neurotic or maybe it's an ear infection and so I think just the the relentlessness of that over the course of five years um just built up and escalated the OCD so I I developed the I guess some of the symptoms that people really associate with OCD in terms of like germ phobia and um was like dabbing hand sanitizer around my mouth and nose so that no germs would get in and um cleaning uh I mean to be honest in the six months preceding getting diagnosed I wasn't really leaving my flat very much anyway but when I did I would kind of wipe down surfaces um couldn't touch doorknobs would like always wear a scarf so I could put my hand in it to open the door um and then alongside that I was getting panic attacks um because one of the symptoms of the type of migraine that I get is really severe dizziness and it kind of comes on very suddenly and so it's very frightening when it happens um you just have to kind of cling to a wall and hope someone that can get you in a taxi and get you home um so I was really really stressed about leaving the house um and then I also as happens to some people in a kind of period of extreme like stress and anxiety started um, experiencing symptoms of dissociation so like derealization which is where the world doesn't feel real to you sort of felt like I was in a computer game like looking down and not recognising your own hands or looking in the mirror and not seeing your own face. Um, so there's a whole bunch of things, basically. Um, and, and things would kind of flare up and then calm down and then be replaced with something else. Um, and it's only really been in the last, I'd say, 18 months to two years that I've kind of got a, a good handle on things. It's really interesting to hear you sort of talk about them all together like that. Because, I mean, initially, if you say to somebody, I experienced migraines, I think they think of it as a very physical thing Mm. rather than a mental thing. And also, if they don't experience them themselves, which, I mean, I don't, Mm. um, they have a tendency to kind of think, oh, that must be like a bad headache. It doesn't sound like a bad headache to me. It (laughs) sounds awful. There is a bad headache element to it. And and I think, like, definitely that's what I thought before I had migraines. And actually, I I resisted the diagnosis because... um, I like the other symptoms were much worse for me so I did have like the severe head pain but also had this vertigo dizziness that I mentioned I also had um like cognitive problems I just couldn't think straight 
follow a conversation properly or I would think I had but then afterwards people would be like you weren't really making sense and I would my words were getting jumbled and I was having all these kind of strange sensory experiences as well like um, my senses were really really heightened and not everyone with migraine gets that but I think it's more common than people realize certainly more than I realized. So when you said your senses are heightened so does that mean like if someone was smoking in like another room you'd be able to smell it? Exactly exactly yeah Um, and I also have something called synesthesia which is um it, it is not a, a medical condition it's it's just I guess like a perceptual trait but for me it is linked to migraine and it's where your senses overlap um so for example you might taste words or feel sounds or um smell colors and for me a really really big uh, one was like artificial light and whenever I was in a room with artificial light like office light or supermarket light um my my mouth would kind of fill with smoke, um, which is like a really unpleasant and also really distracting. And then it's stuff like just general like sound sensitivity, light sensitivity, which probably you might have heard of in in relation to migraine. With the synesthesia, that sounds like quite a well, quite an interesting condition. To be honest, I mean, sounds like quite a pain as well. When did you start experiencing that? Was that from childhood, or was that around the same time that no, the other stuff kicked it was, off? It was. Um, it was probably about maybe five or six years ago now, but I didn't realise that was what it was at the time and I had never heard of it. Um, it's actually not as rare as I thought it was. I was looking into this the other day. It's actually like four in a hundred people have some form of it. So it's not, you know, super common, but it's not like kind of elephant man rare. I had this really weird experience. I was actually at the Tate Modern Gallery in London. I was in the room where the um, Rothko Seagram murals are, which are these like massive red and black canvases. And I, I could tell I was getting a migraine. I was getting the kind of visuals, which some people get before a, a migraine. It's part of what's called the aura phase. Um, and I was getting kind of zigzags down my vision. And I was thinking I've got about 20 minutes before I need to get home. I'm going to just have a quick look at these paintings. And this migraine came on really, really quickly. And I... Um, I had like just this really weird experience where there was quite a loud video installation in the room next door and it was like humming and the sound like passed in front of me in like a sort of rectangle shape like a train and then I could taste the red in the painting like kind of like really gritty almost like how I imagine blood tastes um like very metallic um and and then it turned into this like awful migraine um I didn't I don't know why I didn't really think much of it because I was having so much kind of so so much was going on at that point I was having so many different symptoms and then a couple of years later I mentioned it to a neurologist and they were like oh it sounds like synesthesia and then I looked it up and I was like oh that makes perfect sense I was having during this time like MRI scans and other tests so I knew that it wasn't anything like really sinister and compared to the other things that were going on, it it didn't really seem like that much of a big deal, to be honest, mm. compared to, you know, not being able to get out, out of bed or string a sentence together. Yeah, I started looking into it and found out it's pretty... There's there's a reasonably um, high prevalence of it amongst artists and writers and people like, you know, Kanye West and Pharrell Williams apparently have it. And there's records of, um, like, Kandinsky and other... Um, artists having had it and I, th- I think it it does lend itself 
you know, it's not like a superpower. It doesn't mean if you have synesthesia, it doesn't mean that you're an amazing painter necessarily. But if you do have some sort of creative or artistic skill, I think it does sometimes come out in that. Mm. Um, and that's definitely true for me in my writing. I remember when I was younger, I did a lot of singing and I met a guy, sort of like a fairly high up sort of music teacher guy. And I sang him a song and he said that my voice sounded blue. Oh, so he had right. synesthesia. Yeah. And um, I thought that was interesting. And I think that's why I was probably sort of, I hope not glaring at you, but yeah, definitely no. sort of staring very intently at you then when you no, were talking it about it. It wasn't a menacing stare. It just made me think, gosh, this is actually quite weird. No, it's not weird <laughs> at all. No, it's just, I think it's just very interesting because it's very interesting, isn't it, to sort of think about how um, different people's brains interpret the world because that's clearly what that's, you yeah, know, your brain's I mean, doing. Probably if you had asked him, he would have been able to tell you, like, um, it's a really specific kind of blue because... The mm, colours and tastes that people have tend to be very um, specific. Um, like, like the word synesthesia to me is a very like grubby yellow colour, as if you as if you'd kind of mushed um, what are they called uh, dandelions. They're mm. the yellow, like not the clocks, the actual flowers, as if you'd like mushed one of them into the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the same for every synesthete. I was talking to someone else um, who has synesthesia the other day, and she was saying that to her synesthesia is. I think she said it was like a transparent banana. So yellow as well, but a different kind of yellow. Yeah. Um, and then like yellow for me also has other con- connotations, like pale yellow is the colour of Sunday. And then if to me, like if I am feeling in a sort of yellowy mood, I think of it as being like curious. Mm-hmm. So there's all these kind of overlaps and it varies so much from person to person. And, and then there'll be colours and words that are just totally neutral and normal Mm. Um, and it gets more pronounced when I'm in going through a kind of phase of migraine which which is what happened when I wrote the first book I was kind of writing it in hospital and um, in waiting rooms and in bed in between appointments Um, and then when it came to the second one I get my challenge was like don't give all the characters synesthesia and make Mm. them um, and I think still the way that I use language is um, slightly different to the way that I did before like I feel like the way that I think and see the world has been changed this I don't mean this in like the spiritual philosophical way that it may be coming across but just like I think I'm more interested in like color and light than I was previously. Mm. So as a writer with synesthesia um, does that present certain challenges when you're sitting down sort of to write to write a book does that mean that I don't know, you you want to avoid certain words or do you do, or the other side of things, do you sort of do things on purpose, like go and look at certain paintings or sort of go to certain places so that you're not exactly triggered, but you kind of, I suppose you get kind of inspired. Yeah, definitely. How does it work? Definitely. So uh, when, when it would be pronounced enough to be disruptive, I wouldn't be able to write anyway because I would be feeling so ill. Um, but I might kind of make note. I sometimes find like little post-it notes with things written on them or little doodles that I've obviously done um, and, and don't really kind of have a hazy recollection of doing. But I definitely like use music and art when I'm writing. Um, so I have like certain songs that I, I think I think actually this is probably true of everyone. Um, but maybe it's just a little bit more pronounced in a synesthete, like to get you into a certain frame of mind or put a certain mood in your head and um both the both my books have featured arts the first one was set in a boarding school and the main character had suffers a blackout while she's doing an internship at an art gallery and that allowed me to kind of write around that and 
the second one, um, Colour Me In, so Arlo is the character he's, um, he sketches and is interested in like drawing maps and stuff. And I, th- I think that comes direct from me and my experience and interest in that, definitely. But have you mentioned OCD at all in your books? I haven't named it specifically, but definitely in the first one, um, some of the things that I would do, I, I gave to that character. And uh, But I also, I try to not write directly my own experience just because it's it can be a bit kind of stressful I think if you're going around in circles and then people are editing it and reading it and kind of reviewing it and feeding it back to you it just I don't know feels a bit icky to me um but yeah definitely in in the first one I would say probably if you were put to put a label on Arlo in the second one it would be bipolar which I, I also have um but it's not not named without giving too much away he does have an episode which some people have recognized as a hypermanic episode going going into kind of it's probably some like psychotic features to it so going into mania you mentioned earlier um when we were talking about ocd um that is something you had mm-hmm. so is it something that you feel you've recovered from i kind of say had just because it's so much better than it was but i i think i there are still certain things that i do um but it's not as kind of desperate and compulsive as it was before. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I, I mean, I probably I officially probably do still have it. How did you get to sort of the, the place of recovery? Um, so I took medication for a while for the anxiety bit of it, which seemed to be causing the, I guess, the compulsions and the intrusive thoughts. Um, I don't take it anymore, but I think that really helps. And I also had um, have been having therapy like on and off for five years Um I had CBT briefly, which I know does work for a lot of people for OCD um, and definitely absolutely wouldn't want to put anyone off trying it. Um, it didn't work for me personally. I ended up just having kind of more talking therapy, which um, helped. And, and maybe that's because it was sort of rooted specifically in this like traumatic experience. And I just needed to kind of talk that through and almost like burst the bubble in that way. Because you're writing about mental health issues how do you sort of keep a dividing line between, I suppose, between your characters and between what you're doing and your own, I suppose, keeping yourself mentally well? Mm. Do you have particular sort of things in place? How do you, how do you manage it? I mean, it? to be honest, I don't do a great job of that. Um, and I, it's something that I'm trying to get better at. Um, like, it's really, really easy for me to get kind of sucked into just like the, the isolation of writing and the stuff that I write is is quite dark. Like, I, I try and have some humor in it as well like I don't know you probably shouldn't call your own books funny but I try and like put some levity in there for a bit of balance um but I do find that um I will kind of if I'm sort of inching towards like hypermania the the kind of creative impetus that comes with that like I find very difficult to resist um and so I, I just have to really keep an eye on it. And, th- and then there are other sort of lifestyle things that I've done, which I think have helped more generally. Um, so obviously going to therapy regularly. Um, I've given up alcohol, um, which is a real shame for me because I love drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that has really, really helped um, like level me out. That's just been that's been new over the like the last I think it's four months now. So that's helped Um trying to keep some sort of structure which again I really resist but when I don't do it I notice um I think the big one for me is sleep um and I do sometimes take 
melatonin to help with that. I actually have had prescription sleeping tablets, and to be honest, they don't really work on me. I don't know why. Um, but melatonin seems to help me with that. So just trying to keep a decent routine. And I also, I did a writing course at Faber Academy. It's where I wrote um, the first draft of the first book. And I met a lot of other writers through that. And so I'll meet up with them and do writing sprints with them and talk through plot stuff. I I think just kind of anything that you can do that makes you realise like this novel isn't the be all and end all, like civilization isn't going to collapse if you don't write X number of words today. I think that's really, really helpful. Mm. Um, I guess it's the same as anyone would would do, you know, make sure that you're talking to people, meeting up with people when you can and um, being like mindful of your trigger triggers. Mm. I, I, I mean, I, it would be really false of me to say that I've got that licked, but I, I think I've got a better... Um, understanding of that now so bipolar disorder I love that you just sort of threw that in there as well because <laughs> um, I have that as well do you have one or two do you know that is the subject of some debate at the moment actually I was I mean this is terrible for me but I was scared which is which I'm pretty sure I've got one which is the one where you actually um, have mania yeah that is and one. then two is the one yeah where it's slightly you kind of have hypermania and more depression yeah that's right like you say you've almost got like a, a smorgasbord of different things um how have how well have GPs responded to those mixtures? Because I, I can't really say dual diagnosis, can I? It's, you've had a range of Multi. things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have they responded well or has it been useless? What's it been um, like? I actually have had... Um, I have never felt when I've gone to talk to someone that I have been dismissed, apart from once around the migraine stuff where I think, I don't know, maybe I caught someone on a bad day. He was just super kind of dismissive of it. Um, I have a really great GP um, and also in my previous job I was really lucky to have private medical insurance and I think that really helped and I don't think I have personally encountered any specific difficulties around that like you know like it's it's hard to kind of um, build up the nerve to go to the doctor and it's and and also another thing that is difficult is like reporting your own symptoms because Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure this is really common, but like you just forget things or you get the chronology wrong or you don't remember things as other people remember them. Um, and so like making notes has been really helpful. Mm. But how's it gone with things like meds? Because, you know, like for me, I've got bipolar disorder and I've got the mood stabilizers and mm. I do mindfulness and I used to have counselling, but then I had enough of that. Well, I didn't have enough. It was, <laughs> it was fine. I had enough, basically. Um, but how does it work when you sort of got several things to manage? I, I largely haven't taken medication. I took it a bit for anxiety um, and I had some medication for for migraine. Um, and, and actually, oddly, some of the, the migraine medications are also used to treat mental health. Like As, as you'll know, like medications have a lot of different uses generally. Um, yeah. And, and specifically with migraine, there are no medications, as far as I know, that were specifically developed for migraine, which is kind of crazy when you think it um, affects 9 million people in the UK. Um, so that hasn't really been so much of an issue for me. I, I, like I have been recommended to take various things, but, but I feel at the moment that like things are stable enough not to, not to warrant that. How have your family and friends kind of reacted to... Well, also, I suppose, how have they supported you in terms of your mental health? I mean, they, they've all been great. I haven't had any bad reaction from from people. Um, I'm not really, like, a big talker 
um, amongst like my friends and family uh, like I know they're there if I need them but I as as far as I possibly can I I try to just kind of get on with things and I know that that is not always possible for people um but I find like I find like knowing that they're there is enough of a safety net when coupled with um you know psychiatrist therapy or the other things that I have and and writing has been like a huge outlet for me as well mm. um and has actually started some good conversations um I've I've written like uh for papers and magazines about mental health as well but I find that it's actually the fiction that starts the best conversations I don't know what whether it's because people feel more comfortable about talking about something that is one step removed even if they know it might be kind of a fictionalized account of something Mm. that has happened I think it's a really good route into conversations. And why did you decide you wanted to write for um, young adults in particular? Um, I, d- I actually didn't decide that. I just started writing and uh, to be honest, I hadn't really read much YA before um, my book was sold as a YA book. And, and actually in a lot of bookshops, it gets sh- shelved in adult as well. It's kind of at the very top end of young adult fiction, I think. And and it's kind of, it's a very strange category, um, you know, like uh, things like The Bell Jar published with it, if that was published today, would be called... YA just purely because of the age of the protagonist um that's quite odd isn't it yeah Mm. it's it's not something that I think about a great deal to be honest like I kind of feel like it's my job to just write something and it's up to the publisher to decide how to sell it and the booksellers to decide where to put it on the shelves Mm. um the, the only thing that I'm a bit mindful of is like if I'm writing about sex I'll always make sure that I mention consent and contraception well I mean I'm sure I'd probably mention consent anyway if I was writing for adults but just those kind of things that you have to be um a bit more like explicit about I guess mm. um but other than that I've I've never been asked to like censor anything or you know don't kind of go out of my way to be provocative but all of the books have got quite sort of explicit mental health scenes in them drug use alcohol but not in a way that's going to make anyone be like oh that book really inspired me to go and like try this drug or so yeah total accident basically is how I ended up doing that but because they have ended up being sort of categorized as young adult Mm. for whatever reason have you found that you've had uh, readers getting in contact sort of of a certain age Um, and and if so how have you managed that I I've had people of of a real range of ages get in contact with I say people it's actually probably been like 95% women and and maybe it's because the second book isn't out yet and the first book had a female protagonist so I don't know whether that was just easier for um, female readers to identify with it's not like I don't get contacted every day but I I have had people sending me DMs saying you know this that and the other were going on and I really related to something that I read in your book or this kind of I didn't think anyone else felt like this or, you know, you've made me think about this differently or a friend is going through this and now I feel like I understand it a bit more. At first, I found it like quite startling and a bit like I just didn't know how to respond really. I felt like very um, kind of responsible. But I mean, the way that I reply is now is just kind of like, thanks for telling me, you know, like I'm not really qualified to give advice, but I'm glad that you got in touch and, you know, really encourage you to talk to someone that you trust, whether that's you know, like a teacher or your husband, depending on, you know, how old you are. It, it can be a bit 
it's, it sort of depends on the mood that I'm in when I yeah. get the messages, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, like, I'm never annoyed with anyone or getting in touch. And it, it's never got to the point where it's really overwhelming. Um, and, and, you know, part of the reason that I write is to, like, connect with other people. So on balance, it's been good I think. What are your plans next um, in terms of the writing or just generally in terms of your work? I guess launching Colour Me In which I'm kind of in the process of at the moment um, and that it's I guess that that will run for a while because it's coming out in hardback and that will be out in paperback in February next year. I'm working on an adult uh, literary fiction uh, story at the moment and like quite I've done about 20,000 words which is kind of nothing in the grand scheme of the amount of cutting that I do and I'm starting a Master of Science in September in mental health and creative arts so quite a lot on and oh I'm writing a play as well so yeah lots of bits and bobs going on. That was a really interesting chat for me because synesthesia is something that I know very little about and also it just really got me thinking about the human brain in general basically how little I think we know about the human brain, just sort of the idea that I might go into a room and look at a Rothko and see colours and I might feel certain emotions because that's the way I'm built and my brain is sort of built. Um, But Lydia's brain will sort of interpret it in a different way and she'll actually, well, she talked about tasting the colours and having that sort of response to it. Yeah, not just sort of in terms of synesthesia, but in the idea of all brains really because everyone's brain's different and everyone's interpreting Um, the world differently so it kind of got me thinking about you know different people's interpretation of reality really If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a call. It's 116-123, or you can go to their website, which is samaritans.org. Thanks very much to our producer, Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker, who makes our jingles. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 